Welcome to the Wheels Up Podcast, the resource to help business, executive, and VIP travelers stay safe on the ground and in the air. Join Executive Protection and Travel Security Specialist Troy Clayton as he shares tips on how to give yourself or those in your care a safe journey, no matter where your travels take you. And welcome back to the Wheels Up Podcast. I'm Brett Jarman, co-host here with Troy Clayton. And today we're picking up uh, part two of our two-part series, Who Needs a Bodyguard and How Do You Hire One? If you haven't listened to part one already, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that first uh, because it sets the context for this one. This one will make a bit more sense. And uh, yeah, you get some good background on that particular episode. So uh, without any further ado, we'll pick up where we left off and we're going to jump into what to look for. Uh, should we look for a medical capability in our executive protection team? So uh, w- what about uh, medical requirements as far as your EP agent goes? We- we've covered it a little bit on a previous episode, but just uh, just to get in the mindset of someone who's looking for an agent, what do they look for medical-wise? Um, yeah, look, I guess a lot of clients don't necessarily ask about it. Um, some, some do, and when I say by some, I mean like... Um, um, so those security professionals that are already working for, whether it be a, a company or a family, I'll understand that the medical is, a, is an important factor into what goes into security. So, um, you know, but the average job street doesn't, you know, usually worry about it, to be honest. But, you know, the reality is it is an important part of providing security detail or, or executive protection task. Um, the client may not think it's all that important, but I can guarantee that when they become injured or ill while travelling and... and um, you know, one of the, the team medics can give them a, a check-up in their hotel room or conduct a phone consultation with a doctor and, and advise them, look, this is what we think we've got. Um, and right there and then you can, you can provide them with medication, um, saving them time, hassle for heading to a hospital or seeing a doctor. Then I can assure you that the client will definitely see the value in, in uh, the medical capability that is brought to the team. Right. So just going back to the earlier issue of uh, meeting up with the team, what role does a client have in vetting your team, if, if indeed they have a role at all? Yeah, okay, again, it depends on the client. Um, and I'll bring it back to that same example I sort of used before. So, for instance, if we're providing service to a, uh, say, an estate management company or a, a family, security, uh, family security team, then, yep, um, it's likely they'll have some, some input. Usually the head of the family security will request, you know, bios on the staff, uh, and then he or she may request certain personnel for that that task um but look if it's if it's a, an ea or a pa um you know for a, a ceo who's just sort of reached out um, then generally we would walk them through that process and advise which is the best way to go and what would probably be the best fit for um you know that, that particular client so you know it's not like a there'll be a, a lineup so to speak you know where there's no dark room with people sitting in there and and spotlights on us and go i'll take number two um it's um you know, we, we provide advice um, based on who the client is going to be um, and go from there. And, in fact, you know, we've had clients say, look, no, we, we don't particularly want that person or um, we've had clients say, look, we want a female bodyguard or a female close personal protection operative, um, and in which case then, then we obviously offer that up as well. Um, now, how, how important is local knowledge for an EP agent? Um, massive. Um, I guess working in the EP space, it's... Um, you know, it's it's a very small world, and um, you know, it's an even smaller world when you're sort of working with some of the, the top one percenters. Um, you know, these these clients they, they fly around the world like the average punter just drives down the street. So, um, you know, 
the professionals who are permanently assigned to these clients, they need that local knowledge. Um, they need to trust the, the, the teams on the ground. They need to lean on them. So, I mean, you, you can't know every city and every country and every region. So uh, the teams need to rely on that local knowledge. So, you know, this is, this is why we don't say uh, we're everything to everyone. You know, we don't position ourselves um, as the, uh, the guys that can go everywhere. We position ourselves as the, the go-to company for Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific because, you know, it's, it's our backyard. It's where we've operated uh, and, and, you know, we've, you know, throughout, um, you know, I don't know, Brisbane to Beijing and Tonga to Thailand and, I don't know, in, Indonesia to Saigon and everywhere sort of in between, you know, we've, we've, we've sort of run, run all, all up through there. So we've got strategic partnerships with some solid teams throughout the region. Um, you know, yes, we can jump on a plane and, and head anywhere in the world, uh, but realistically, you know, we'd be doing an injustice to our clients if we said, yes, we can escort you up to Switzerland or Norway or Paris, um, you know, uh, as much as we'd love to go and visit those countries, um, you know, we'd rather reach out to some of our professionals that, um, or some of our um, the other professionals that we know in that region, and um, you know, refer them on. You know, companies like um, uh, Moon and uh, Consulting and, and Gothia uh, Gothia Protection, they'd probably be our first port of call up up around those Scandinavian uh, and European countries. So, you know, um, I guess to come back to your question, it's of great importance. Um, that you know, when a client is looking to travel, that they consult with a with a company that can offer them with a, a local solution with a solid network. Right. And how do you avoid um, cowboy bodyguards? Have you got anything more to add on, on what you've said earlier? Um, not really. I mean, like I said, you know, as I said, go with your gut. You, you you tend to get a feeling of you know who to stay away from. I mean, watch out for smooth talkers. Um, just because someone comes in and looks all big and tough doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to run an EP task. You know? Some of the best com- uh, companies and, and teams that are out there will be quietly confident. Um, they don't oversell themselves. They don't talk themselves up. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be discreet about who they work with and, and um, you know, they'll, they'll be able to sit down and explain exactly what you're going to get when you engage, you know, you, you engage them. So, I mean, it might be a case of... Um, you know, some you know we, we always always advocate uh, you know having what we call advanced time built into the into the budget or, or advanced time built into the, the actual job. Some companies just don't do that. So we sit down and go, okay, this is what we advise. This is what this will be the outcome, um, and then I guess they go from there. It's a, it's a client driven um, industry. Okay. Now, if I'm looking to engage an agent, uh, what what kind of insurance would I expect them to have, and, and how does that cover? me or, or the, the client if, if it does cover them at all? So as a rule, um, they should have public liability insurance. They should have public indemnity, uh, or correction, uh, a public liability and professional indemnity. Um, and realistically, they should have comprehensive travel insurance. Um, a lot of companies will have travel insurance which covers their people. Um, we do exactly that, so we don't expect that all our staff have individual travel insurance. We make sure that they're covered as well. Um, so a lot of companies will do the exact same thing. Um, you, know, you know, the other thing too is if you're offering medical services, they should have coverage for that as well, you know. Um, you know and, and they should be able to produce that. Uh, so if a client comes in and says, well, I want to see all your certificates of insurance, then absolutely do it. Okay. If they don't have it, steer clear of them. Right. Okay. So still on the, on the lines of paperwork, what, what about um, agreements? What kind of agreements would I sign if I'm taking on an agent or an operative? For example, is it, is um, it yeah, so different clients. 
Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're right. I was going to say, look, you know, um, different clients will have different requirements, uh, but the most common document would probably be a non-disclosure agreement, so an NDA. Um, and it's always good to have, a, I guess, a scope of works rather than a, a million e emails going back and forth. Uh, for an extensive task, it, 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 um, a lot of information can come back and forth. Uh, so it's always a good idea to sort of collate that information, um, you know, whether that be in an Excel spreadsheet um, or, or whatnot, uh, or build a planner, um, indicating how many assets are involved, where they're going to be, what dates are going to be there and all sorts of stuff. Um, then that would probably be the best way to go forward and, and then have the client check on it. Just go, yep, this is, this is what we've discussed. Uh, I just want to make sure that we're singing off the same sheet of music because you know, come the end of the task, uh, you know, if you've misunderstood what they want, uh, you know, they may have wanted three vehicles and you've got seven, um, you know, or, you, you know, they wanted two executive protection and you've got ten, you know, it, it's obviously going to uh, come out in the wash and then um, there's going to be issues at the end of it. So, yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, maybe I've been watching too many movies, but do, do executive protection agents carry firearms or weapons and can a client request that they carry them? Who, who makes that call? Right. So... In Australia, it's actually illegal to carry firearms for the purpose of executive and personal protection or bodyguarding. Um, although the ironic thing about that is that you, you know, um, if you're providing uh, cash in transit, then obviously uh, then the, um, the security officers are legally allowed to carry firearms. Um, and then there's also some laws surrounding armed asset protection as well, you know, buildings and, and infrastructure. Um, you know, the, the legislation is um, rather you know, or quite particular, um, though, in that, you know, the, the firearm is not there to protect the money or the building. It's there as a self-defence tool for the, the cash and transit officer um, and it can't be, or, or it can be used uh, to protect him, um, him and, or her, I guess, um, or, or, or another person. So, you know, the laws in Australia are somewhat backwards. You know, our government has deemed that it's more important to provide cash and transit officers weapons than it is to provide, um, you know, suitably qualified personnel uh, and executive protection professionals, uh, many who have had, you know, backgrounds in either military or police forcing, uh, or police forces, I should say, where, you know, their, their proficiency in weapons handling and marksmanship would be well above that of, a, a, you know, the general armed security guard. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a few professionals within our industry who are lobbying to, to have that legislation changed, um, but, it, look, it's going to take, take some time. Um, for our UK listeners, uh, look, I'd suggest they have the same battle uh, with their government, although it would be much harder battle uh, in, in that, you know, they, they probably need to arm their police officers before they can consider arming, um, you know, the CPOs or EPOs. Um, it's, it's unlikely that security guys are going to get weapons before the police. Um, and then obviously the laws in the USA differ. Uh, it's, it's commonplace for EP operatives to carry firearms. In fact, I would probably say... Uh, it would be considered unusual in the US if you weren't carrying one whilst conducting a, an executive protection task. Um, so yeah, that is slightly different uh, each country you go to. And then obviously when we operate up through Asia Pacific or, or through um, uh, Southeast Asia, I should say, there, there's, there's ways around this. Um, our expat protection officers uh, or, or EP agents uh, and team leaders, they, they won't carry uh, obviously, we're not licensed or insured to carry weapons in another country, um, and um, it's it's illegal for us, obviously, to do so. So, um, you know, there's there's other countries out there that um, we will engage as services of uh, off-duty law enforcement agencies um, who may act as our drivers, 
um, or, or even as security escorts, um, which will have all the appropriate credentials um, and, and, and licensing to carry the weapons. So that's, that's the way around it for us. Okay, cool. Now, that wasn't too long at all. Now, on, Troy, on what basis does an EP agent set their fees? How do you work out how much you're going to charge someone? Look, every company is different. Um, they'll, they'll set their own rates, um, and obviously a lot of that sort of stuff is, is commercial and confidence, so I'm not going to start throwing around numbers. But, um, you know, they'll, you know, a professional company will they'll take in a, a few things in, into account. Um, you know, is there an actual or a perceived threat? Um, the type of service that they're delivering, you know, is, you know, is it a simple airport pickup and escort for the day, or is it a, a complex, complex task over, um, you know, several locations? So the length of service, uh, you know, um, in line with the, the type of service, I guess, but obviously the longer the task, the more expensive it may be. Um, and, um, you know, you, you, may fi- you might find that the, um, the, the daily rate will be reduced. So obviously, you know, it's, it's obviously going to cost more the longer it goes on, but there may be some um, leeway with the actual daily rate. Um, the type of client, um, you know, you may be a returning client or an ongoing client, so that may have an impact on, on the rate. Also, the type of client, as in, um, you, know, you know, are you a journalist or a pr- production team versus, you know, a high net worth client versus a football team, you know? Um, each of their needs are going to differ greatly, and so the service, um, you know, will, will differ as well, and, 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 of course, the invoice will differ with it. So, for, for instance, I guess an example of that would be if you're a production team going into, say, the Philippines, um, you know, you would probably just be uh, stock standard, want to travel, you know, you may be travelling economy, um, you, you don't worry about fast track services. You just want to get the other end. You just want to make sure that you've got a security team in place or a security element that that can provide you with that advice. Um, you'll have some drivers there to tr- drive you about um, versus maybe a high net worth client who would come in via a I don't know a private jet and have, have um, you know uh, uh, vehicles airside um, fast track services arranged. That's that's what I mean, I guess, by the difference in services there. So uh, and the other thing too is that is you know quite important is, um, you know, how soon is the job going to be? You know, um, we run on a three-tiered system. Is it critical, is it urgent, or is it routine? Uh, essentially, critical is, you know, we need, we need someone there now, and it's, you know, generally within that 12-hour period. Urgent is, uh, you know, it's important, it needs attention, and it's probably like a, you know, a one-to-three-day, one-to-three business days. And then routine is sort of anything past that, that three-day sort of notice. So, you know, obviously, if it's critical and, um, you know, companies need to move assets about and that's not just us this is you know any any professional company out there that have to move assets in a hurry then you know you're probably gonna have to pay a premium for it right okay so troy if um if i want to get a a executive protection agent and i want to put a tender out for them do you have a a template that i could work with like what's the is there a standard kind of process that people have for this Look, we don't have anything on file. We don't have a template, so to speak. Um, I'd certainly be happy to talk to anyone that wants some advice on that. Um, but you know, a lot of a lot of the cases, it's it's um, usually referrals. Um, talk to people that have used this sort of you know, this sort of service before. Ask them, you know, who have you used? Have they worked? Uh, and I guess the old Google search um, brings up you know um, a few bits and pieces. But obviously, you're going to have to go through the whole process of of weeding out the right ones. Right, okay. And also we've talked off air a couple of times about the non-security threats that you you have to look out for. So, for example, uh, a health threat for a sports person. If you're a 
if, you, if you're a, you know, one of the top 10 world tennis players, it's, it's going to be a problem for you catching a cold. So what, what role do you have in, in that sort of protection as well? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting question. Um, it's probably something that people don't really think about when they think of executive protection or, or bodyguarding or, you know, security in general, I guess. Um, but, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, obviously high-profile athletes have fans um, and, you know, the, the vast majority of these fans, are, you know, they're friendly um, and they're not, they're not threatening at all, excuse me. Um, but the issue is that, uh, you know, everyone wants a photo with them, everyone wants to touch the athlete. Um, and, you know, the issue with that is that, you know, if the, uh, if the athlete is a runner or a boxer or a swimmer, they've got a race or a fight in the next day or even the next week, you know, um, the last thing they want to do is pick up a bug or a flu or whatever. Um, so, you know, it can actually be the case of, of protecting the principal from becoming sick as well as their personal safety. Now, obviously, we, we can't protect them from picking something up, but, uh, you know, what we can do is attempt to minimise the exposure by reducing um, the interaction with large crowds. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where that comes in. And I guess the other thing you could say is that sometimes we, we have the role of protecting clients from themselves. Um, you know, some clients, you know, they're in the spotlight, um, or, you know, they're influential people, and, and just like their average, you know, the average Joe, they, they make mistakes and sometimes make bad decisions. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, part of providing you know, protection to the client extends past that of physical security. It's, it's also their public image. Um, so, you know, if, if you know that your client is prone to having a few drinks and making some poor lifestyle decisions, then, you know, um, after that point, it's, it's part of your duty and, and um, you know, you, you have to do your best to protect them from potentially being exploited in that state. So, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting anyone go and do anything illegal um, but it, it may be a case of having a quiet word to the client and, and, and informing them that, you know, I don't know, the paparazzi is around the corner. Uh, it may be best that we, we did X, Y, Z and, and took you, you know, an alternate route uh, or an alternate exit. So, um, you know, um, also as a bodyguard, you know, you, and the EP operative, you don't want to become the story. So the other thing too is you need to be aware of that. You don't want to be in the papers the next day. You don't want to read superstar Bob Jones, bodyguard bashing journalist. You know, it's exactly what we were sort of talking about earlier with the slashing of tyres. You know, it, it reflects poorly on the principal and inevitably you'll end up in a bad um, bad position. It won't, you know, won't work out well for you. Got it. So just one last question that occurred to me, Troy. You mentioned right at the beginning of our chat about this, um, talking about uh, training and having... Uh, what you called action on or, or, or sort of pre, predetermined protocols, do you need to train the client in any of those? So if, if um, yeah, like what, what kind of understanding does the client need to have about those sorts of things and how do they learn to work with someone in close protection? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. So, um, so yes and no. Uh, <laughs> Yes, in that, look, you would usually, you would give your, your client a brief um, before you, uh, you started working with them or as you started working with them, you give them a brief and go, look, you know, you know, my name's Troy, I'm going to be your uh, bodyguard or your executive protection officer or your security officer uh, for, 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 for X amount of uh, time. Um, and then you sort of just run through what those actions on might be, you know, and just say, look, you know, 
um, you know, we'd be walking from, from here to here. Um, I won't be putting my hands onto you, you know, unless if I do put my hands on you, it generally means that there's a, there's a specific threat and I need you to follow my direction. So you kind of give them instructions prior to heading out on the job um, and you, you give them an indication of what will occur during that. Um, you're not going to break down every single action on because A, they, they just won't get it um, and, and B, when, when push comes to shove, um, you know, all those fine motor skills, they sort of go out the window. Um, and what you're going to do is they're, they're basically employing you to, to, to provide them the direction at that time when it occurs. So, um, so yes, you do run through certain things with them prior to. Um, yes, if you, do, if you are with a, a particular client long term, um, you, would, you, know, you would hope to get some sort of training in with them. Uh, and like I said, that training may not necessarily be, okay, we're going to go outside now and we're going to run you know, contact drills for the next three hours. It would be a case of, okay, um, you know, let's sit down and have a chat about what's going to happen if the, um, you know, if someone gets too close to you, or you may have a, a, a duress signal. So, for instance, if the client starts feeling uncomfortable, your duress symbol uh, uh, signal may be they start tugging on its earlobe, and then you sort of know, okay, this person's sort of creeping the creeping the client out. I need to intervene here. Um, all those sorts of things. So. Um, and you may talk to them about, you know, cross-load drills for vehicles and things like that. So if they, you know, explain to them, look, if your vehicle breaks down, we're going to move you from this vehicle to this vehicle and then you're going to move on. So, so that, that kind of answers that question. Each client is slightly different. Each task is slightly different. Um, you, know, you know, working in a hostile area, yes, you would probably run through uh, drills in a greater detail rather than if you were, say, doing some court escort work. Um, and escorting um, people back and forth, um, either you know, in a, in a court case, um, you're not going to run them through every single drill there. So yeah, right. Okay. So so my takeaway from that is that there are two essentials for them, and that is one for them to have a clear indication for you of when they need help, and for you to have a clear indication to them of when. Trust me, I'm in charge now. You need to do what I say. Yeah, absolutely. And those parameters would be um, well, any any professional uh, company and, and every uh, any professional uh, executive protection operative will sit down with the client um, prior to um, prior to uh, moving forward with the task and saying, okay, th- this is what's going to occur. And it'd be pretty clear in their mind. Um, okay. you know, if I'm putting my hands on you, there is a reason for it. Yep. Okay. Good to know. Alrighty, well that, that's a pretty extensive rundown on what to look for when, uh, when you're hiring an executive protection agent. Um, it's going to take me a while to absorb that and no doubt our listeners will get some enormous value as well. So thanks Troy for that rundown. Alright, I'll help you sleep. <laughs> no doubt. Well, it, no, there's some pretty useful information in there. So Perfect. Um, credit to you. Alright buddy, um, let's wrap it up here and uh, we'll pick something up on the next episode. Beautiful. Cheers, Brett. See you later, mate. Ciao for now. You've been listening to the Wheels Up podcast with Troy Clayton. For more information, show notes, resources, and subscription options, visit wheelsuppodcast.net. Wheels Up is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network. Until next time, safe travels.